I don't think it's that original of a saying to say there is growth in pain. But if you look in the Bible, it goes just a little bit deeper than just growth and pain. For example, take a seed. When you plant a seed in the ground, it must completely be destroyed, be completely be taken apart, completely die first before it becomes what it is meant to be. Or for another example, you can look at a butterfly before it becomes a butterfly, it's once a worm, something that's completely different and it completely decomposes and it's destroyed, it's completely gone and turns into something completely different after this process, completely and totally change. That's the type of growth that the Bible describes. It's a little bit more than enduring pain, but what does it really mean to die daily? What does it really mean to grow in Christ? Well, put on your spiritual scuba diving gear once again, because we are about to dive deep. My name is Imani Akins, and this is another episode of the Deeper Waters Podcast by the Scottish Brooks. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can enter the kingdom of heaven except through him. No one can enter the promises of God and the eternal life without him. However, there's a whole aspect and a whole revelation really that I got as I was reading. Actually, one of my friends is actually specifically shout out to one of my now good friends, um, Tess. Um, from the Messenger of Truth podcast. Um, she and this uh, group chat of a couple friends. Um, she had uh, referred me to 1 Corinthians 15. And I know we read this recently on the podcast a couple episodes ago. But this led to a whole rediscovery of what it means to grow in grace, what it means to grow in the Spirit. So today's episode we're going to open up with first corinthians 15 and it's a little bit longer of a passage but like i said i will never apologize for reading longer passages because when you read psalm 19 what a good good what what a good scripture of understanding uh what god is and his creation is and what he's spoken and what what his word is and what his power is, his power to change us, to make us wise, to cleanse us. I definitely encourage you guys to read Psalm 19 and to study Psalm 19 and meditate on Psalm 19. However, that is not what we are here to do today. That is completely for free. But we know the laws of the Lord convert the soul. We know that the things God say matter. We know that the word is quick and powerful. It's alive. We know that his word in all of scripture, anything that comes from his mouth is profitable. So there's no, uh, no better tool to preach. I can come up with all sorts of theories, all sorts of revelations or not revelations. I don't know if I can come up with my own revelations, but I can come up with all sorts of stuff and all sorts of dynamic ways to explain stuff. Great oratory. But at the end of the day, nothing will ever be just reading his word. So, without further ado, picking up from verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, 
by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye had believed in vain. But pause right here. And from the very beginning, he's talking about the gospel that he preached. This is the point of life. This is the this needs to be the center of our life, the gospel. But in this chapter, he goes a little bit deeper into the gospel. This is towards the end of a letter that he wrote to the church. And I love that this is one of the last ideas he wanted to leave with the Corinthian church in this first letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church. But right here, he's telling us this is the gospel that we saved and we believe in, not out of vanity. We don't just believe for no reason, but there's a reason why we believe this. But as we read through this, we're going to see the concept that I want us to get today. So picking up in verse three, it says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles and not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, so and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Yea, if yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are per perished. If this, in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Listen to what we just said here. He's become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits after, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put 
all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. I think it's interesting. I just realized this kind of as I was reading this, as they made this comparison from Adam and Christ. The first enemy really of man, I mean, other than, you know, temptation and sin, but the first curse was death. And that is the last thing that will be destroyed by Christ. So I thought that was just an interesting thing to throw in there. But picking up at verse 27, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under his feet. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand ye in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have died, which I have in Christ, our Lord. I die daily. So another mentioning of death and dying daily. So keep hold of that as well. In verse 32. And if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And, and with what body do they come? I think it's interesting that it mentioned, do not be deceived. Evil co- communications corrupt good manners right here. I have another point that I would like to make with this later. But from right here, we also see the doubt. These people are communicating doubt. And that has an effect on you. This doubt of resurrection, which is another key concept to the episode for today. but. We have to be careful what we talk to and what voices we allow in our life because that will have an effect on our good manners. It's going to have an effect on our workings and the way that we act and our habits. It's going to have an effect on who we are. So we need to be careful on what we communicate with, not just what we talk, but what we allow to communicate. That is a back and forth conversation. That is a back and forth. And it's not even always talking. It can be through lips like you may not even say a word communication can be in so many different ways so we have to be very careful what we put in front of our eyes what we put in front of our ears what we put in front of us in general we have to be careful but continuing on verse 35 but some man will say how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come thou fool that which thou hast sowest is not quickened or made alive except it died So this is what we were talking about earlier with the seed. It is not made alive, except it died. So it must die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body, that body that shall be but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it pleased him and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men and another of 
flesh of beasts and another bird, fishes and another birds. And there are also celestial bodies or spiritual bodies and bodies terrestrial or earthly bodies. The glory of one, the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And there's the glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars and another one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption and raiseth in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body and it is raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening or living spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which was spiritual, but after that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. <clears throat> the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As it is, as is the earthy, so are they that are earthy. And as it is heavenly, so are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, so shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say that, now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not sleep, not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet, the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must be put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And death, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, there's a point towards the end of here that I wasn't going to make, but it kind of ties into what I was going to say, what I'm going to say later. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So back to verse 52 and a moment in the twinkling of the eye. So this is after we've you've died or gone into the ground. In the moment, in the twinkling of the eye, in the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So that is the moment that the final changes happen when incorruption, corrupt, the corruptible becomes incorruption, the mortal becomes immortality. And there's a lot of beliefs on what the rapture is, a word that is not mentioned in the Bible. And I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I do think it is interesting that it says the last trumpet, because when you read about these trumpets in Revelation, there's multiple trumpets. And most of these trumpets, 
there's a lot of crazy stuff that's going on. And as you read throughout Revelation, it talks about the saints that were killed and the saints that were persecuted all the way up until the last trumpet. And I think it's interesting as we think about the life in Christ, not just the life in the end times, but the life in Christ in general and comparing it to when you watch the progression of these trumpets and watch the progression of the things that happen in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of suffering and in our walk with God, there can be a lot of suffering. But the end, it was at the end of all that suffering. It was at the end of death. Then. We are changed. The dead shall be raised and incorruptible and we shall be changed. This is a principle. This is not just something that is going to happen, but this is a principle for our life right now. These scriptures kind of elaborate what it means in the Bible when it says what you've sown in tears, you will reap in joy. What you sown when you mourned, the things you mourned about, that's something that you are going to now be able to dance about. There's things that are going to die in your life and it's going to cause pain in the moment. But as time progresses, you're going to see how that thing changes. The mess changes into a message. You start to see how this test turns into a testimony, something that you can talk about and something that you have grown from. And you that's one of the biggest miracles, honestly, not just something that you see somebody's arm grows back or any sort of miraculous sign like that. That is a great sign. And I definitely believe in that. But. We also, one of the most miraculous miracles is the miracle that happens in the mind and the miracle that happens in the heart, because you can have a miracle. There's multiple people who receive miracles in the Bible and do not change. And there's some people who probably gotten healed before and are not on their way to heaven. But there's plenty of people who have changed in the heart. For example, Paul. People cannot believe the change that happened in his life. It was unbelievable. People did not even believe he was Christian for the longest time because he had changed from being such a terrible person into one of the most powerful apostles. And he mentions that at the beginning of this. That is a death. He died to himself when he came to Christ, when he surrendered to Christ, when he had that moment of visitation, he had to allow his old way to die completely. And it produced something completely different and it produced something completely new. We see that there are different types of bodies. For example, the body that a seed has is not the same thing that the flower has. It's not the same body the flower has. The body that a seed has is not the same body that it has when it becomes wheat. The body that a seed has is not the same thing when it becomes a fruit. And it's the same thing with us. But. It's interesting, too, because in verse 31, it says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. So we know ultimately there's going to be a day that we die and we get changed from corruption to incorruptible. When we change from earthy to spiritual bodies, when we change from earthy bodies to heavenly bodies. But there's another concept that we have to notice that Paul described it this way, that we die daily. So there's seasons to our lives, but there's also something that we can change in daily. I think there's another interesting thing that we have to look at is after Adam and Eve sinned and death entered the world, that there was a initial sacrifice that clothed them. This 
is the whole meaning of sacrifice, what it means to be a living sacrifice, continually dying yet living in this continuous process of being a sacrifice. The sacrifice, something died to create a covering, something died to create a body. And eventually one day we are going to die and be giving a new body. But that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. The sacrifice is just an example of these seeds, a seed that dies in the ground and becomes something new. The sacrifice, the first sacrifice was made to atone for sins, but it was to cover them. It was a covering. It was not necessarily a body because it was temporal. And that's what Jesus was. When he died, he released this way. So before I go too deep into this, I want to continue building my point throughout the scriptures. So the next passage of reading is going to be Philippians chapter one and starting with verse one. If you give me a second, just to turn there. Philippians chapter one, verse one. And it says the following. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons grace be unto you and peace from god our father and from the lord jesus christ i thank my god upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a great work in you will perform until the day of Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, in as much as both, both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. That's an interesting concept, being partakers of somebody else's grace. But continuing on, verse eight: For God is my record. How great I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent and that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness that are by Jesus Christ until the glory of the praise of God. And just focusing on this thing with fruits, when you read about the fruits of the spirit, when you read about different things that come from living in Christ, living through his spirit, whenever it mentions something that you get from God, for example, when you read in Galatians and it talks about the fruit of the spirit, it talks about the fruits of the flesh first and how we must kill those. Those must die in order for those. That is the seed mortifying the flesh mortifying the ways of the flesh and the productions of the flesh. It talks about the envy and the wrath and all the strife and idolatry. And idolatry is not just what we think of bowing down to an idol, but Colossians chapter three, it defines idolatry even further as multiple different sins that are very, very, very common. And even in Corinthians 3, I mean, not Corinthians 3, Colossians 3, it talks even further about mortifying the flesh and killing the ways of crucifying the flesh with its lust and its affections. 
And when you do that, you're able to put on holy, beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forgiving and forbearing just as Christ and being perfected in love. That is only possible if you fully mortify these things over there that are bad. So being filled with the fruits of righteousness, that's how that is done through the death of certain things in your life, continually being a sacrifice. So continuing in verse 12. It says, but I would, ye should understand, brethren, that things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that in my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the pal palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set in the defense of the gospel. And so we see right here that you cannot have the right heart and God will still work through you, but there's going to be a different effect internally. You're actually hurting some people who are genuine by this falseness. Now, fortunately, like we said, somebody can preach Christ out of their own selfish ambition and they're going to be rewarded for that. But once again, that's why part of the reason why Jesus said, if they come in my name, you know, don't worry about it. I'm going to handle it. So continuing on verse 18, what then notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Christ magnified by life or by death, by death for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But if I live in the, in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not for I am in a strait betwixt two having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance and for your joy and faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ, Jesus Christ and for me by my coming to you again. Only let not your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in the spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition and to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, 
now here to be in me. So this is the grace that he was talking about. We one thing I've focused on recently a lot is the kingdom. And one thing a great preacher to be listening to right now, his recent messages is Mark Morgan. And he talks about the advancing of the kingdom and the power and all that. And the thing is, in the king, it's the king's domain. Jesus was the first one to die and to be resurrected. But this resurrection power, we talked about this in the grace episode. He gave grace. He gave power. He gave love. So he gave this grace. But this type of love, this type of grace, this type of power also is it endures affliction and endures pain. So when you get anointed, it seems like almost every person you read in the Old Testament, especially when they got anointed, all of a sudden all this trouble came because it was growth. It was process. And when you are partaking, for example, he said, you guys are partakers of my grace. And then now he's talking about how you have the same conflict, which you saw in me. And it also talked about the verse before that, that you suffer for his sake. This is also part of the grace that you get from the king. When you get this dominion, you also have to endure the responsibility. There's pain that comes with this responsibility. Another thing is talking about the whole concept of for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to be real with you. For most of my life, I thought this was, I don't want to say stupid, but I definitely was like, I cannot like, no, like I, I mean, you know, I of course want to go to heaven, but like die is gain. Like, no, there's no way I, I just couldn't understand it. And so this year, until I understood the vanity of life, until I understood that there's really not much point to this life outside of Christ, which is why to live is Christ and to die is gain. Not saying that I just want to die tomorrow per se, but I wouldn't be mad about it because I know where I'm going. I know where I've invested and what I'm going to reap from what I sowed. And yeah, for example, that's one thing. But two, when you die, you are going on to glory. You're going on to the next phase. When you die in this body, you're going to be given a new body. And then I also understood further not just that concept that we're talking about dying to live in a new life and to be given a new body and to be transformed, but also what he mentioned later about even though it will be so much better to just go straight to heaven right now. That's a selfish way of thinking. It's a selfish way of thinking, even though you realize you have this revelation, you finally get this revelation that, oh, this life really, there's not much to it. but. I still have a purpose because I'm still breathing. So now, instead of doing what I want to do, I'm going to do what the king wants me to do. The king that gave me this grace and gave me this revelation. I'm going to continue for his purpose. And in his purpose, that is love. First, you're loving to him, which is John 14, 15, John 15, 14. All of first John to love him first, to follow after him, to follow after the king. And also the second greatest commandment to love one another. So out of love and not out of selfishness, but out of love, you stay here to continue being a disciple because discipleship does not stop at salvation. But there's further growth after that initial salvation and you continue to grow throughout your whole life. I'm still growing, but also it is to continue reaching out to those who are not saved. That is the point of life to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you do not die to yourself, you will die 
by yourself. Not only will you die in your own pride, but you will also die by your own doing. It's your perp- if you live for only your purpose, you're going to only be able to lean on yourself. And eventually you're going to end up killing yourself trying to reach your own vain pursuits. That's part of the reason why you look at so many people who are so called successful, have millions of dollars, record deals, all sorts of stuff. And then they realize it's all for nothing. And they did all this perhaps by themselves. They may have been a talented individual, but there's no purpose to that. There's no purpose to that. And when they recognize that, they end up dying. And a lot of times often end up killing themselves, overdosing, whatever, because they died by themselves, but they didn't die to themselves because there's a reason why it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because, for example, this even goes for forgiving. This is what I was talking about in the conversation with some friends yesterday. To forgive is another form of giving. And two, we cannot receive until we've given. We cannot receive healing until we have forgiven. That is a prerequisite prerequisite that is mentioned in the Bible. And I really believe that goes more than just physical healing, but even mental healing and spiritual healing. We cannot heal until we're willing to give. We cannot heal until we're willing to lay down our lives and lay down our will. That's part of what you're doing when you're forgiving. You're dying to that issue. You're dying to that bitterness. You're putting away that wrath and malice that we talked about and that mischief that is in your life. You're dying to that. So in that, you're actually liberating yourself. So continuing on in this concept, Second Corinthians chapter three is the next passage of reading. And just give me a second to turn there. But we have to realize that this is a there's a connection between living for Christ and also dying to yourself. It is necessary to die to yourself in order to live in Christ. So second Corinthians chapter three and starting with verse one, it says the following. Do we begin to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. I want to focus right here for a second. It said written in our hearts. This is one of the biggest issues of our entire life. It's getting our heart together. You can look like you have it together. You can act like you have it together. And it may, like I said, look like you have it together, act like you have it together in person and in private, but your heart is still wrong. You have to make sure that your heart is set on God and that it is written on your heart so that we are actually doing this with intention and not just doing this out of ritualistic meaning, but actually meaning what we do. That the words of our mouth, as Psalm 19 would say, in the meditation of our heart, both the words and the meditation of our heart, not just our actions, but our words and our intentions. The word is quick and powerful, dividing this bone and the marrow and the spirit and the soul, but it also divides. uh, It discerns our heart and our intents. So we need to make sure that our intent is right in everything that we do as well. So picking up in verse three, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not with tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ 
to God word. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers or servants, because a minister to minister to someone means to serve someone. That's why when God said the greatest of these are those that serve and that are a servant to others, you have to be willing to humble yourself in order to be a minister. So he who he hath also made able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, if the ministration of death written and engraven in stone was glorious, there was glory in that so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which was glory was to be done that which glory was to be done away. And just to elaborate on that story for anyone who has not heard that story. Basically when Moses got the 10 commandments, he delivered Israel from Egypt. He was an instrument to instrumental tool for delivering them out of Egypt. And while they were wandering in the wilderness, God had gave them the law that the people would abide by in the new land. And when he had came down from the mountain, the glory was on him so strongly that it just changed his whole countenance. It was glorious when he got the law. That is what, what story in the Bible that this is referring to. But it's saying that was so glorious. But even then, that glory is to be done away. But there's even a greater glory in this New Testament in the way that Jesus has shown us. So following in chapter eight, how shall not the ministration of the spirit rather be glory be rather glorious for the ministration of condemnation be glory much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory for even that which was made glorious had not no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth for if that which is done away was glorious much more that which remaineth is glorious Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel cannot steadfastly look to the end that is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for unto this day remaineth the same veil untaken away for the reading of the Old Testament, which is the veil done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with the open face, open face, beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord, or beholding in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the spirit of the Lord. So there's quite a few things that I talked about. It talked about the condition of our heart. And also when our hearts turn, then we are able to receive this new way. I think another interesting thing is it talks about the letter that killeth, but the spirit that giveth life. And the thing is, nothing about God's law was wrong. None of the principles of it were wrong. And that's one thing we have to realize is Jesus did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. But the thing is, even though the law made us know what is sin and what's not sin, and it gave Satan the ability to be like, you broke the rules. 
That's why he's able to afflict us because he is able to tempt us. He wants, he knows exactly what to tempt us with to get us out of God's will. And then he also wants to bring that judgment. But that is the reason why it says the way of holiness is mercy and truth. We still uphold the truth, but God is merciful to those who have a good heart. So when you turn away from your wicked ways, you humble yourself and you turn from your wicked ways, then he can heal you. And it's interesting because even though the law killeth, there's still death in the law. It's not that the law was wrong, but that the law and the ways of God, the commandment of God, it seemingly killeth, but the spirit giveth, giveth us life. There's certain things, there's so many things that we are not able to do except we be filled with the spirit. His spirit makes it possible to live and to do his commandments. His spirit makes it possible for us to understand his ways and to do his ways and to do it with good intentions. Because some people try to do the law of the flesh and they're just living in death because they're just living out of rituals, but their hearts are not right. But your heart being right truly makes you be able to be receptive to the will of God. The other concept you want to get here is at the end when it talks about looking in a glass of glory, looking in a mirror of glory of the Lord and being changed into the image of the Lord, going from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. That is one thing. The more that we are in the presence of God, the more that we are beholding the glass, beholding a mirror, reflecting in the glory of God, reflecting God, the more we reflect God, the more we are going to be changed. And we talked about this last little bit earlier, talking about even having the same grace as Paul, partaking in the grace of Paul, not even the grace of Christ, but the grace that Paul was given. There's suffering and there's death in that. And it talks about and we're going to read about it here in a little bit. When you are serving God, it talks about how we are given resurrection power, but that is to endure pain and persecution. So first we are given this power to be able to do the same thing that God did himself. So second Corinthians five further elaborates on the concept that we are talking about. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. But for what for we that are in this tabernacle or in this body do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but to be clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing we list, we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, whether we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that which he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. So we're going to reap everything that we sowed. Knowing, therefore, the terrors of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. I trust also made manifest in your consciences. That kind of refers back to that talk, talk, talk episode we, we did earlier in the season. 
For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but we give occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to an answer to them which glory in appearance and not in the heart. So it doesn't matter what you look like. It matters what you actually are and your intentions are on the inside. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because thus because we thus judge, and if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So we are not living for ourselves. We're not being selfish anymore, but we die to our pride. We die to our vanity and we die to our own ways. And we are living in the love of Christ, which is not our own love, but being selfless. Wherefore, henceforth, know ye, know we know man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us this ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then are we ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may might be made righteousness of God in him. I love what it says here when it says a new creature, the old thing is passed away. The old ways have to pass away in order for the new things to come. I know when you read, for example, in Revelation and it talks about the end of the world, even the earth itself and heaven itself has to be made new. All things are made new through him. So we and even now our bodies do desire for something more we know internally somehow in our conscience we know that there has to be something more out there than this life that we are living right now but it's through christ and it's through learning that self-preservation is not the way to save yourself but it's actually being selfless that is going to lead us into the way that god has created for us so continuing on this concept that we must die when we die to ourselves and we partake in this crucifixion this is actually what reconciles us he gave us the ability as i mentioned earlier that he gave us this power he gave us resurrection power without death there is no resurrection power and if there's no resurrection there's no sacrifice and there's no point to the whole entire christian walk but it is through death that life has such powerful meaning because that means that you are able to overcome death. We're not just living forever, but we are dying and overcoming death. That is what resurrection power is. And that's what makes the resurrection so powerful is that it doesn't just say, oh, we don't die, but we can overcome death. So now i want to turn going on from these two concepts of being reconciled to christ but also being transformed from glory to glory and moving from faith to faith growing in christ growing in the grace of god 
I want to go to the end of the Gospel of Luke, which is the Luke chapter 24. And I'm almost there in verse chapter one. It talks about the resurrection and I love the way it is put in this chapter. So in verse one of Luke chapter 24, it says now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher and they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in the shining garments, and they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth. And they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake to you while he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hand of sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and they returned to the sepulchre and told all these things unto the eleven that, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Johanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women that were with them that told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to be to them as idle tales. They believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by them, and departed, wondering himself that which was come to pass. And behold, two of them went the same day in the village called Emos, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, which is a distance away. And they talked together of all the things that had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together they and reasoned, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden. They could not see. They were restrained. And they should not know him. They did not know who he was. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one another as ye walk and are sad? So we talked about earlier. This is a direct reference to or what Corinthians 15 talked about. Second Corinthians 15. Or no, first Corinthians 15. This is what that was referencing. As we're seeing, he was witnessed of all these people one by one. But he also talked about be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So it's interesting what he said. What manner of communication are you having right here? Um, why are you sad for? They did not necessarily trust what he said before he died, that he was going to rise again. So it's important that we keep this belief and that we keep good communication, no matter what the situation looks like. So verse 18, it says, and one of them whose name was Cleophas answering said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are to come to pass in these days. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and in in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered them to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted trusted it that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today's the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at 
the sepulcher, and they found not the, his body. And they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so that as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O ye fools, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? Notice what it said here. Ought not have Christ suffered these things in order to enter into his glory? The suffering was completely necessary to go on from faith to faith into glory to glory. The suffering was necessary and this death was necessary in order for him to grow. So verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went into to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat and took bread, and blessed them, and brake, and gave them gave to them their eyes were opened that they knew him and he vanished out of their sight and they said unto one another did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose at the same hour and returned to jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying the lord is risen indeed and he hath appointed and he hath appeared to simon and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is as a, it is I myself. Handle not me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see, ye, ye see me. So right here, throughout this whole chapter, as we talked about in this last passage of reading in Second Corinthians five, talking about their hearts, their hearts had to be worked on. He was revealing the veils on their hearts so that they can understand what I said is true, and it doesn't matter how you feel about it. But what I said is true. What I said is going to come to pass. And what, what you've seen, I am the manifestation of what came to pass. I rose from the dead. And it took them a while to get through that unbelief and the issues that were within their hearts. So picking up in verse 40, it says, And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and have wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave to him a piece of boiled fish and a, a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of the prophets and in the of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And they then opened he them their understanding, that they may understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, It is written, And thus behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, 
and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name, Jesus' name. So that includes repenting, being baptized in his name, and being filled with his spirit, which is the Holy Ghost. And repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send unto you, I send the promise of my father upon you. But ye tarry in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power on, on from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So right here we see that Jesus was revealing their hearts and he finished his course and he went up into heaven until he plans on coming back later. But it talks about he is the way, the truth of life, and he ascended into glory. He went into heaven from this moment. After he died, he rose. And this was the resurrection power that he was giving to them. This covenant, when he was preaching the kingdom and talking about being born again and dying and being born again, this is not this was not possible until he had died and rose again. This is why in Peter, it talks about, I believe it's first Peter three, if I remember correctly, when it talks about the image of baptism, how we are baptized into Christ and how it represents his death, burial and resurrection. This is resurrection power. That's why you have to be baptized in Jesus name. That is the only way of baptism you'll ever see in the Bible. So once you're baptized in Jesus name and you commit to his ways, you don't just do the action of it, even though that is necessary, you have to obey what he said, but you actually not only say it and follow after it, but you change within your heart and fully submit and commit all your ways unto him. Then you will be endued with power. This is resurrection power that you will be able to continue, that you will be able to endure the suffering that this life has. From glory to glory. This is how we grow through death and through suffering is a growth and we die daily. So daily we should be growing. Daily we should be going from faith to faith and glory to glory. Remember, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. He conquered death in this moment, but death has not completely been destroyed. We still have to deal with that in our own lives. But he has a plan for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58, it says, So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All the work that we're doing right now and all the suffering and all the pain that you may be enduring in your life has a reason. Our labor and our suffering, it's birthing pains. It's birthing pains into the new life and into new seasons, even into growth. This continual death is continual growth and transformation until we ultimately finish our course and we obtain the award 
and reward and reap what we have sown in this life. That is what this life is about. That is what it means to go from season to season. It's continuous death and growth and continual investment and sacrifice, not just obedience, but also sacrifice. Obedience must proceed the sacrifice, but it's continuous obedience and sacrifice. We must be born again because this body has to die and everything that came with it. It is wisdom. It's wisdom also has to die. It's will has to die. Everything that came from this body has to die. And that is why it is important that he is the source of our life, because if we do not get born again, then we are not going to be able to live when this body dies. That's why it said, why seek ye the living among the dead? Because everybody was destined to die, but not everybody is destined to rise again, unfortunately. I mean, God's plan is for everybody to live forever. It says in the Bible that it is not his will that any man should perish, but all should obtain everlasting life. So it's not God's will for everybody, anybody to die. But unfortunately, most people do not want to give up their own way. Most people are want to be selfish. And out of God's love, he allows people to make their own decision. You have to decide to love for yourself. If he forces you to love him, that is not love at all. So he allows you to choose who you want to serve. But you have to realize everybody is going to die. The issue is not everybody is going to be risen and have this resurrection power. That is why it is important. That's why when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's like a seal because it gives us the ability to rise from the dead if we obey him, if we obey what his spirit leads us to do when once we are born of the water and of the spirit, even talking about being born of the waters, are you born of the waters that come from the above? Are you born from the waters of the father or the waters from below? What are you drinking from? What are you born of? Are you born from the wisdom that comes from above the wisdom of the father? Or are you born of the wisdom that descendeth from below? We need to make sure that we're not just operating out of any kind of wisdom, but we are operating out of the wisdom of God. Because we all have to die, but who is the source of your life? And I know we're going long, but I still want to encourage you guys to read Revelation 21 when it talks about earth will be made new and heaven will be made new and we will be made new. And it also talks about a fountain of living water. We will officially partake of that fountain of living water and we will live forever. When you go up, when you go into the ground, we have to know what is bringing us back up out of the ground again. If we are filled with the spirit, we are going to have this resurrection power. We're going to have the ability to rise up from the ground and be able to live in heaven. He is the light that we need to grow. If just going back to that example of a seed, if the kingdom of heaven is like a seed, he is the light and he's the water. It doesn't matter what we labor, we do. You can labor and not earn anything. You can war and not have any victory, but he has the necessary components so that you can grow and not just labor, but you actually grow and change for the better. He's the light that we need as a seed and he's the water that we need as a seed. It's your choice though. You have to accept his life. You either get to choose, choose you this day whom you will serve. And that is the point of preaching the kingdom. You cannot force anybody to do anything because that's their choice. It's their free will. And that's why he said, shake the dust off your feet. When you try to preach to some people and they don't want to hear it, that's on them. 
And that's one thing I've learned. I'm not going to stress myself out over people who do or don't want to accept God. Yes, I do pray for them. And yes, I do want them to eventually come to the light. But the truth of the matter is not everybody's going to. And that's not even the point of preaching the kingdom. You have the preparation of the gospel of peace. You have the preparation, the plans when you are declaring war. And this is a Mark Morgan example that um, kind of this is where I got this revelation from. It's not an original one, but he talked about when kings go to war or before they go to war and they're expanding their kingdom, they send messengers out and they say, you know, do you want peace or do you want war? That is essentially what you are doing when you're spreading the gospel. You cannot force anybody to be saved. Now, if they listen to them, you're saving them from fire. You're saving them from destruction. But if they don't listen to you, that's on them. They have to choose that day whom they want to serve. If they want to serve God or if they want to serve man. And it talks about serving man. That is an abomination. That is following after your own way. And you're going to get your own results. And we've seen time after time what results man can produce. We don't produce anything good at the end of the day by ourselves we need his glory we need his grace so that's what preaching the kingdom is about we are encouraging each other and we're encouraging other people to make a choice we cannot force anybody to be saved and you can never beat yourself up about what people say all you're doing is telling people and giving that option to people from there it's their choice to let god change them um, between them and God when they get the revelation of whatever happens and whether that happens in the moment, great. If that happens down the line and you just happen to plant a seed, then that's great too. But ultimately, as well as it is for other people, it's your choice to accept God and his ways. You cannot just supposedly do a ritual and even follow him only up to the steps of getting baptized and filled with his Holy Ghost and stopping there. You have to continue to obey him from there. When you fully humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways, you turn from your own ways, then he will hear you. Then he will heal your land. He will heal you from that. And so you have to continue after that. It's not enough to start, but you have to continue and make it all the way to the end. So... As I come to the close of this episode, I do want to pray, as I usually do, that we will continue and that we will have revelation of the suffering. We will have revelation of the things that are happening within our life. So, as we pray, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everything you provided for us. And I pray that you would just impart revelation to every person that is listening to this podcast and impart a passion to every person, impart faith to every person. And I pray that anything that is covering people's hearts, that would make it hard for them to believe that it would be removed and that their hearts would be softened so that they will be able to receive the words engraved upon their hearts so that the words of their mouth and the meditation of their heart would be pleasing unto you. I pray that people would have an understanding and be comforted when they see things in their life change and it seems like things don't go their way and it seems like things are dying in their life. They will realize that what they've sown in tears they can reap in joy if they submit to you. I pray that people will understand what it means to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, that they will realize the plan and the great things that they have in their life and that there is a purpose for every single thing that they go through. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your love. And I pray that your mercy and truth, as Proverbs says, that it would be bound to each and every person and that they would walk in the way of holiness because all of thy ways are mercy and truth. 
that thy kingdom come and thy glory and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven to you be all glory to yours is the kingdom it is the power and the glory forever so we praise you forever and in everything we do we praise you and we live with this understanding we live we commit to live in repentance to live and die daily die daily to the things that we want to do and at the end of the day seek your will because to live in you is christ and to die one day is gain so we thank you for all that you've done for us and we pray that your spirit will continue to lead us from this day forward i thank you and praise you in jesus name i pray amen so thank you guys all for listening to yet another episode of the deep waters podcast i know i got a little bit long one towards the end but continue to read this for yourself don't just listen to the word that is preached this is to impart faith when you listen to something that is about god and imparts faith and really when you listen to anything that's why when it says evil communication corrupts good manners the things that you say affect you and that's why it says the things that come out of your mouth are the things that defile you not the things that come into you the things that you eat that doesn't defile you but it's the things that you say but it's also the things that you hear said that can also have an effect on you so we need to make sure that we are communicating properly and that we are communicating in a way that it causes growth and that we are encouraging one another and that we are showing love to all people but as i said thank you guys all for listening be sure to leave a review on apple Podcasts if you have not and to continue communicating with us as this podcast has grown. I know the last time I checked the weekly listens, we have 91 people on average listening weekly. And that is just completely amazing and phenomenal. I never thought that 90 people would be listening to this every week. So that is crazy, but all glory is to God. And I want to encourage you, when God is leading you to do something, trust Him, believe it. Make sure that it is God. Test the spirit as we talked about last week on the spirit of error and let the spirit of truth guide you. But until next week, thank you guys for listening and God bless.